Um, I have to be honest with you, I'm not great at outlines. I said that to Hannah. I'm like, I, I don't do outlines a whole lot. Um, I, I'm also uh, one who doesn't give a whole lot of details. Uh, I just want you to fill in the blanks and you, you figure out what it is that God's speaking to you. Um, don't worry about Josh Smith. I worry about what God's speaking to you. Um, so I don't, I don't do a whole lot of details. I don't button up things. I don't make it look all pretty for you. I just want to ask you to open up your heart to what God has in mind for you to, to hear today. Um, I also want to just say thank you. Uh, thank you guys for your partnership. Uh, this is a church that's been partnering with us over the last few years. Uh, Steve works on our advisory team for the JMU campus ministry with Justin May. Uh, also, uh, this church over the last two years has been supporting our fall uh, retreat. Uh, last year, you guys sent in some money to help us with our lunch. This past year, a few folks like Reuben and Steve and Hannah kind of led the way in uh, bringing us some, some amazing barbecue. I wish they were all there because it was that good. Um, but I also want to just say thank you guys for praying and inviting us in and being part of your church. Um, Justin says so many great things about you. Uh, a little bit about me. I, my name's Josh Smith. Uh, my wife's been calling me Honey for the last 16 years. Her name's Jamie. Um, my, my kids are Caleb and Catherine. They call me Daddy. Uh, Caleb's nine. My daughter Catherine is seven. Um, I serve as the executive campus minister. That's just a fancy name to say I serve a bunch of people. Uh, I serve uh, all of our staff. I serve the students. I get to teach in all the campus ministries, join up with Bible studies. Um, most of all, I get to pastor our staff and uh, encourage churches to be a part of what God's doing on our camp- college campuses. Um, and so it, it's just, that's just not who I am. Uh, most of all, I'm a child of God. I'm a fallen. Uh, I struggle um, with sin, and I know we all do. Um, shared a little story. Um, when I was probably about 15, 16, a lot of young people in here I love that uh, don't do what I did. I was 15, 16 years old, and uh, my mom and I, my mom's a little woman, she's five foot two, um, love her dearly, but you know, I, I was out there trying to show who I was. Uh, we got in a little disagreement. Probably all of us have done that before, gotten a disagreement with our mom. And uh, I, I knew the time was up. I wasn't going to win. So I turned and started walking to my room down the hallway. And uh, I said something in my breath. I called my mother a name under my breath. Um, but I kept walking all the way to the, to the door of my room. And right at my doorway, I knew that something was different. I knew that there was something there. I turned around, and before I knew it, I had been lifted off the ground and body slammed on my bed. My mom was on top of me. <laughs> Sheer fear. <laughs> Messing my pants. <laughs> I learned two lessons that day. Man, I respect my mom. Number two... If you're as hard of hearing as I am, it's never a good idea to speak something under your breath. You have no idea how loud you say it. <laughs> no idea. So I, I, I say all that to you. I, I, I'm so grateful for the band who came and led worship. But it led us into the presence of God. Um, you, you definitely don't want someone who can't hear to lead you in worship. It's not good at all. But uh, I, I just say thank you. The other thing I wanted you to know before we even get started, I believe in you. Um, 
I believe that you can put the pieces together of what's going on in my mind and really what's going on in my heart from Scripture. I believe you can put those pieces together to allow you to be changed by God. And so I'm going to pray as we enter in His Word. Father, we, uh, we come to You. And we ask You to speak. Uh, Father, we ask you to help us to open our ears to hear your voice. We ask you to, to share your word with us and open, give us open eyes to read your scripture and to see what you're doing. Most of all, Father, we pray that you will open our hearts so that we can be changed and convicted by you to take one step closer to what you have in mind. Who cares what Josh Smith has to think about anything? What we really care about is what you have in mind for us. And so, Father, I pray that that will be true today. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, just kind of give you an idea. We're coming out of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and most of 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is really going after the heart of the folks who are listening, right? He says, hard stuff. He says, you know, you've heard it said not to murder. But I tell you, if you have hate or anger in your heart, you might as well have committed the sin of murder. He says, if you have lusted after someone you might as well have committed adultery in your heart. He goes deep because he wants to work from the inside out. He wants it to be real from the core of who we are. And so Matthew chapter 7, I want you to hear this. Verse 28 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They've been hearing this, hey, you just do all these things. You just check this list off and you're going to be all right. That Jesus had changed all that and said, let's go from the inside out. They were made because he taught as one who had authority and not just as the teachers of the law. Verse 1, chapter 8. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Get this, they loved his teaching so much that they didn't just go, all right, we're done with Sunday church. We're going to go home now. Oh, they kept following him. They walked out the doors and they kept walking with him. As he went down to McDonald's, they all went to McDonald's with him. Right? It's crazy. Verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. The man with leprosy came and stood before and actually kneeled down before him. Leprosy, if you don't know, is a is an incurable, contagious disease where your skin is falling off of you. Sometimes even fingers would fall off and your toes would fall off. It's pretty painful and downright disgusting. It's so contagious and so worrisome for most people that they would say, hey, if you have leprosy, you go out to the leper village. They created this little place where all the lepers go. They were cast away. 
This man with leprosy hears the voice of God through Jesus, recognizes that he is God's son, and comes before him and says, Lord, will you heal me? (laughs) Jesus, verse 3, says this. He reached out his hand and touched this castaway, this person who has this contagious disease. He touched this man. And he says, I'm willing. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see to it that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Uh, this passage really cut deep to the core of who I am. And so many times I look at folks and I say, ah, I can't deal with that. It's too messy. It's too messy. So many times I see, ah, that's just going to take too much time. It's going to take too much energy. What does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and he touches him. I think I, think, I am convicted. I am just, I believe that we need to get in the middle of the mess. We need to be willing to get a little dirty. Be willing to get a little, a little messed up. Um, some good friends of mine, a married couple, they have three daughters. Their oldest daughter attempted suicide last week. Praise God that she didn't succeed. That's kind of a stigma, isn't it? We don't want to talk about that in the church. We don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. We just say, ah, if we let that come in here, it's going to become contagious. I'm here to say we need to get in the middle of that. We need to love on that family. They have no idea how to get out of that mess. But boy, I want to walk with my friends and help them to see that Jesus is the answer, the cure to all of our issues. Other friends who were in the church and they were getting ready to go to divorce, they separated and the church flew away from them. They escaped all that mess. I believe the church should be right there in the middle wrapping their arms around them, helping them to see that they need to come back together, be reconciled to each other through Jesus Christ. Let us not run away from the mess. Let us be the beacon of hope right in the middle. I want to encourage you. Because I, I, I'm struggling with this at times. And I bet you you are too. I want to encourage you. Let's get in the mess, middle of the mess. Let's reach out a hand and be there. Let's grab a hold of those who are in hurting, those who are in need, and be there. Jesus heals many, many during Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Uh, right, right after this, he heals the, the servant of the centurion. And from a distance, 
The centurion says, hey, I'm a man under, under authority. I know what it means to be under authority. So if you just say the word, I believe it's going to happen. Wow. What faith. But here's the thing. It's not just faith. Jesus does it. Jesus does it. Sorry about that. Verse 14 and 15, uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. I'd be honest with you, I'm not sure if Peter really wanted his mother-in-law to be healed. Um, but he heals her anyway. He touched her hand. He was approached right after that by two men coming out of the tomb, and Jesus cast a demon out of them into this, this herd of pigs, right? And they go commit swine suicide. Jesus heals. He heals the paralytic in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And the crazy thing about this is he says, I have, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. And they're like, oh, what? You're going to heal me of my sin? I'm paralyzed. Who cares about being my, my sin being forgiven? But he says, so that you know that I have the power to heal your sins, get up and walk. I imagine that Jesus reached out his hand and gave him a hand up. In chapter 9, verse 18 to 19, and 23 to 26, Jesus raises this girl from the dead. In the words of Scripture, he said, he took her by the hand, and she was alive. Craziness. Right in the middle of that story, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years reaches out and touches the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ and is healed because she reaches out there and she touches it and she has faith. Right after that, uh, Jesus heals two blind men. He reaches out and he touches their eyes and they can see. Then he heals the mute, demon-possessed man at the end of chapter 9. I want us to recognize and trust that Jesus can heal. But sometimes we have to do our part and get in the middle of the mess. And be willing to put away the stigma. Be willing to put away the, the biases. Be willing to get ourselves out of this thing where we want to protect ourselves. And get out there on the front lines. Let's continue on in chapter 8, verse 18 to 22. You see, the, the crowds are gathering around again in verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. When the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Listen to what Jesus says. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We're going to have to set aside our comforts, okay? If we want to truly surrender and follow after Jesus, we've got to set aside our comforts, our desires, our wants to follow after Jesus and his desires and his wants, and to be his disciples. I, I want to challenge you on this. Uh, I struggle with this at times. I, I, I want 
what I want. I'm learning to trust that what God has in mind is much better than anything I could ever want. I want to just encourage you to try to set aside your wants for his. Verse 21, another disciple came to him and said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Let's kind of unpack that a little bit. This is kind of a family tradition. It's a Jewish tradition that you would stay with your family until your mother and father passed away, and then you could take all your inheritance and you go do whatever you want to do with it. But you had to stay, right? You couldn't just leave. And so this disciple is saying, I want to continue to keep in my little family tradition, my little, hey, we do it this way kind of thing. And listen to what Jesus has to say to that. Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. He's not being insensitive. This is not an urgent need for this family. He's not being crazy. He's just saying, what is more important? Your family or me? Your traditions or me? Help us, God. Help us, God, to trust in you and to focus on you and allow you to move us outside of our comforts and outside of our traditions. Listen to what happens right after that. Funny how this happens. Verse 23, it says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Verse 26, he says, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Listen to what the disciples said. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They were amazed. They were amazed. Jesus done something that no weather forecaster could ever do. He had control over the winds and the waves. Have we lost our amazement? Have we lost our trust that God can do all things? There's so many times when I just, I just want to control things, right? I want to make things clean and easy and simple. I want to just wrap my arms around it and just control it. But when I do that, I recognize that I'm trying to put myself in the place of God. I'm trying to put myself in the place of God. And it's only when I let go and I recognize that He is in charge, that He is God, that amazing things happen. 
I, I told you about my kids, Caleb and Catherine. My seven-year-old, Catherine, is a headstrong child. Raise your hand if you got one. But not if they're in this room, okay? Not in, the, in this room. All right, good. I'm kidding. Um, my seven-year-old's headstrong, and this week uh, um, she was trying to talk to me like I do my mom some, a long time ago. Um, and uh, she was just getting really disrespectful. She was thinking she got it all together, that she's the boss. I just grabbed my daughter and I just started hugging on her. Thing was, I, I didn't let go. I kept holding on. She's fighting, she's screaming, she's punching, she's kicking. I'm just holding on, saying, I love you, Catherine. I love you, baby girl. All you got to do is say, I'm not the boss. All you got to do is say, I'm not in charge. All you got to do is say, I love you, Daddy. But you have to mean it. You have to mean it. I just held on. 30 minutes went by. She's a keeper. Um, 30 minutes went by, and she finally gets up. and says, I love you, Daddy. I'm not in charge. I'm not the boss. And I let her go, and boy, what an amazing attitude she had after that. I don't want to say, I'm not going to tell you it was perfect. Storms still come up. We still want to start being in charge and being in control, don't we? But when we can just relax and trust in God, amazing things happen. My daughter is strong-willed, and I believe God's going to use that in incredible ways. But she's got to learn to trust me and her mother right now. She's got to learn to not want to be in charge because she's seven She's under my roof. We've got to learn. We're, we're under God's roof. We've got to learn that we're not in charge, especially when the storms come. I, I just think it's amazing right there in the middle that when we want to follow after him, we want to get in the mess, sometimes we want to control it. And most of the time we just need to be there and open up our arms. I love what um, Rich Mullen says, that we're supposed to be an arrow pointed towards heaven. But you can't do that unless you open up your arms. Right? All right, let's keep going. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Great story um, about the guy who wrote this book. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew is a tax collector. He uh, is kind of the castaways at this point. He's the, the look down upon. He's the one that no one really wants to associate with because they take money from his own people and pay to Rome and yet keeps a bunch for himself. Follow me, Jesus says. And Matthew got up and followed him. Why? If you're to look down upon, if you're the scum of the earth, wouldn't you want to go spend time with Jesus? 
Of course. It's like you got two bad options. Well, you got one really good option, not like the elections, all right? Two bad options, terrible. Anyway, we have one really good option, one really bad option. So Jesus follows, or Matthew follows Jesus. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, notice in quotations, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Uh, this week we had an election, if you didn't notice, um, for the President of the United States. And the, the results were all over the place, right? But the thing is, all the, the experts afterwards were, were talking about this people over here voted for this person. Let's call it, hey, these are the white uneducated, right? And then you got the minorities and the women voted for this person. And then you got... I was like, all you're doing is creating us and them, right? We look across the aisle and we say, them over there. Isn't that what the Pharisees are doing? They're looking at the folks and saying, those are the sinners. Why is your teacher hanging out with them? Listen to what Jesus says in response. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is trying to help us understand that we're all us. We're all us. It's not them and us. It's us. It, we've got to really recognize that every person we come across is us. Whether they look like us, they're us. If they, if they dress differently than us, they're us. If they're struggling with sin, they're us. If they're greedy, they're us. If they're poor, they're us. If they have different color skin, they're us. If they live in a totally different part of the world, they're us. Jesus wants us to see people the way he sees them. Not the way we want to see them. It's not them and us, it's us. In our campus ministries, we, uh, we try to practice this. And it's not easy, guys. Um, we have uh, students who are struggling with time. And they hardly make it around. And we want to make sure that they still recognize that they're us. We have students who are always thinking about the end goal, what money they're going to make, what job they're going to have. And we want them to understand it's about us. We have students who are struggling with their sexuality and we want them to understand they are part of us. Help us, God, to not see 
the them, but the us. When we do this, God is going to revolutionize this world, but he's got to start with revolutionizing our church. Got to start with revolutionizing you and me. Let's continue on. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Right at the end. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, look at how he noticed them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. You guys have been in this uh, We Are the Church series for the last, I believe, seven weeks. Is that right? Nine. Sorry, I can count fingers too. Nine. Nine weeks. Um, We are the church this year. When God captures you, when you're all in with God, you fully surrender, you allow Him to work in you and through you. Just like I'm seeking for myself, okay? When when we allow God to do that, He's going to put us in the middle of the mess. We're going to have incredible storms. But he's going to change how we view everyone. Because he wants all of us to come to him. The crazy and amazing and I don't fully understand it thing is he wants to use you and he wants to use me. Fallen, sinful, Broken, messy, headstrong. He wants to use us to reach more of us. I share on our campus all the time. I share with our students. I I share this crazy vision. In Revelation, it talks about that when Jesus comes back, every knee is going to bow before him. So the vision should be, why not now? Why not on the campus of VCU, every student dropping their knees and saying, Jesus is Lord? Why not at Virginia Tech and James Madison and UVA? Why not in Charlottesville, Barberville, Rutgersville, my hometown, Mechanicsville, and all the rest of the villes out there? But God wants to use fallen broken, simple people to help bring that about. That's going to bring glory to His name. That's going to bring honor to His name. And I want to encourage you, let us all do that. Let us all be a part of this harvest field work. Who's all in? Who's all in? 
God, we pray that you will find us to be folks who will faithfully follow after you. Completely all in. And allow you to work in us and through us for your glory and your kingdom. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.